Hey guys, this is Steven, and you are listening to No Experience Required. Today's episode contains some heavy dialogue as we cover some of my personal family history, told through the perspective and experience of our guest and my older sister, Naomi. In typical No Experience Required fashion, we handle the conversation with dark humor and levity scattered throughout. But today's conversation will have you hearing about the childhood traumas Myself and our guest endured being raised in a family involved in the drug cartel. From the surreal presence of a literal lion residing next door to the chilling realities of massacres and drug runs, her candidness lays bare a childhood fraught with abuse, danger, and constant upheaval. But amidst the darkness, there is a testimony of hope and what Christ can redeem. So we hope you stick around to listen in. This is From Cartel Chaos to Christ. Tales of Cocaine Pinatas, Lions, and Providence, Part 1 of 2. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of No Experience Acquired. I am... One of the hosts, Chase, here with... Steven, the other host. And uh, today we're joined by two pretty special guests. Um, I have the honor of introducing my lovely older sister, Naomi. Welcome. Hola, muchachos. <laughs> Hola. And uh, we're also joined by her husband, who has been on before, Ryan. Yes. Hey, Thank you. how come Thank I didn't you. get an applause? It was for both. Actually, I was oh. just... Throwing a guess out there, hoping to hit the right button. So you have to come on more than two times to get a better. Oh, okay, you haven't earned it. You have to listen to more than two episodes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> That's, That's it. Fair. We're done. That's, That's, fair. That's the episode. All right. I'll that just was good. restart. We'll that that <laughs> no, I am really excited to talk about this episode, though. So uh, a little bit of context from my side. Uh, I'm kind of with all of you. I don't really know a whole lot of. Your story, and really, honestly, your story, Stephen. So I'm speaking specifically to Naomi and Stephen. And um, you don't know my story. I don't. We talk about my story every time we're recording. No, we talk around your story every time we're recording. <laughs> well, my story isn't necessarily Naomi's story, but they do mesh, and because we're siblings. But fun fact: she's actually 11 years older than I am. So she lived a whole 11 years before I was brought into this world and she went through a lot in those 11 years was that fun those were the good years those were the good years when i was born (laughs) they called me um the saint and child for a reason for good reason for good reason reason. he's still in there somewhere he would literally crawl up the walls like Like a little devil baby inside of me he was a scary child but no, um, yeah, I'm super excited to have you on, obviously. I, we've had Ryan on quite a few times now, maybe too, too many times. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. So Chase had asked you earlier before we started recording, what made you decide to come on suddenly? Were you a fan of our show before this? <laughs> That's the question. Honestly. I guess I was a fan, but I wasn't necessarily um, a supporter. I just hadn't made the time to listen, but... Um, Chase and Steven had, you know, kind of um, mentioned a few times in the past if I wanted to come on and share some of my story, maybe testimony, whatever, 
the word is, and I was hesitant to do it because I didn't, for one, I hate listening to my own voice, but um, I just didn't want to sound like super narcissistic and like I had something to tell the world and, you know, everyone listened to me. Um, but after listening to their last two podcast episodes, I just really felt inspired to, I guess, I guess I would have to word it as share my testimony, I guess, just because um, looking back, it, it is kind of a wild story. And um, just listening to the last two episodes, I really appreciated um, how vulnerable and raw the conversations were and just getting different perspectives from different people and getting to know people on a more intimate level to me was just um, something I wanted to be a part of, I guess. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think you had mentioned hearing how vulnerable and transparent Leona was on our last episode. And for those of you who haven't um, listened to our last episode, we had Leona and Caitlin on some good friends of ours. The episode's called Nature Versus Nurture, Embracing Imperfect Stories and Personal Relationships. And that conversation got really... uh, vulnerable it was very open we talked about a lot of different things but I'm going to share this thing that Leona said during that episode which kind of sums up what you're saying Naomi she said you don't have to tell your story to everybody you don't always have to be understood but it might help one person and when she said that I've literally I've thought about that at least mm-hmm. at least every two days yeah, since really she good. said that it's so good and it's so true it's supposed so to be getting t-shirts I heard. Yeah, sweatshirts and t-shirts. T-shirts. <laughs> t-shirts, Caitlin. You better get on that. Yeah. If you're Wait, aren't you the t-shirt this. designer? I thought she was going to like... Well, I know she said uh, she was, but oh, I mean, you're the one who Let's was. get together and plan this out, Caitlin. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm super glad that... And it's funny because, you know, when Naomi's always been such a big... She's like one of my number one supporters and also my biggest critic in a good way, right? <laughs> like, she's really blunt and honest with me. The way any siblings should be with each other. But when we started this podcast, I, I didn't even tell her too much about it. It was just like, Hey, we're doing it. If you want to listen to it, please do. And she never really did. Um, but you know, she was like, cool. Good for you guys. Uh, so I'm super glad and happy to hear that these last two episodes kind of inspired you to come on. Yeah. I think, um, taking the time to ask people about their story is so important because you get to understand people better Mm. and get to know them better and sometimes we have preconceptions or just judgments about people or think that we couldn't possibly ever relate to them or sometimes even be friends with that person because we have all these like preconceptions of who they are as people or their experiences and a lot of the times we're way off and even just listening to Leona speak it just really gave me a whole new perspective on her and just more empathy and she's somebody that I think is really special as it is but I just really was touched by her vulnerability and I think it's really important to take the time to ask people about who they are and where they come from and what their experiences are because you just really get to know them on a whole different level so yeah and I enjoy that aspect of this a lot and um I know sometimes it's not easy to come on and it's not easy to share and it's intimidating. Uh, One, to be in front of a microphone, but two, to also just be vulnerable to open up and share something that um, is really close to you. Um, 
maybe feels personal, maybe it feels like it is uh, for a lot of different reasons that you can't share that. So I'm always, uh, I always admire people who come on and are able to share and to do that because it's not an easy thing to do. And I really appreciate you coming on. And like I said, I have been really excited for this. Um, I only learned about this a couple of days, but I've heard bits and pieces of things come out over the years and always wanted to know a little bit more and what that's done and how that's been. And, um, yeah, being able to have Ryan on here at the same time because a husband and wife are so connected and it does have, um, yeah, both backgrounds on either side have a big impact on relationships, on how you both develop and things you grow through and suffering. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He looked, he looked right at me when he said so suffering, suffering yeah. trauma, abuse, yeah. neglect, yeah. narcissism. <laughs> I'm here as more as like the emotional support animal. Yes. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. Sitting right next to him, just petting his head. Yes. Yeah, he's on the ground. For those who can't see, he's sitting right next to her on the on the ground. <laughs> yes. So with that, um, where do you feel like you want to start your story? Where do you want to feel like you want to start um, sharing? Oh, gosh, I don't even know because it's so crazy and all over the place. And I'd, I guess I should start with this. It's been such a wild ride that I have really fragmented memories of my childhood. Like I can't piece together like a linear timeline because it was so strange. Um, and I don't know if... Um, like my brain blocked out some of those things mm. because they were just so strange. But if I try to think on a specific memory, sometimes I, f- I just feel really confused. It's like really strange and like fragmented. Like, um, so yeah, it's weird to explain, hard to so explain. Can you start maybe giving me a little bit of context about what your family was like, you know, a little bit of the context of what your family was during those years you were growing up. So I guess, I guess to give it some context and kind of help people understand what I'm referring to is um, I grew up in a house that was into the drug cartel type business. So um, my childhood is a lot of very strange memories of, you know, going on drug runs with my mom and dad, um, close friends and family being murdered, um, entire families being massacred, um, you know, so as a kid, a lot of it didn't make sense to me, but my parents were like really open as to what was happening sometimes. So I, I always knew that we were doing really weird and strange things, but at the same time, there was things that they wouldn't explain. So there'd be like, you know, midnight drug runs across, you know, two state lines and we were just rolling around in the back of an empty white van and we had me and my sister had no idea where we were going or what we were doing we were just riding in the back of a van for hours and then my parents would make a stop we'd be in the van for about two hours and then we'd leave again and drive all the way back home and it didn't make sense and it was confusing but we thought that everybody did that we thought it was normal normal just going for a ride so for a little bit of even more context. You were obviously very young by the time you started realizing mm-hmm. these abnormal things, right? So this yeah. started as early as you can remember with you mm-hmm. and Claudia, who's our other sister. That was the so same you guys maybe, were pretty young. Maybe yeah. So people who don't know your first. siblings. Yeah. So you my sister Naomi and my sister Claudia, who's 10 years older than I am, 
you guys were pretty much raised in this sort of lifestyle and you can look back and remember as early on as you can, mm-hmm. that being the lifestyle, yeah. right? Um, about what age would you say, if you're looking back now, how old were you guys knowing that our family was kind of in this business? Um, I would say between like like six and seven maybe. When um, I guess th- my parents were, like I said, they were very strange about the way they handled things. Sometimes they were very like, they would expose us to it. And then sometimes they were trying to cover it up, but it was too late because we already knew that, you know, what was happening. And um, yeah. So what were some of the things that kind of gave you an idea of what it was? What, like what, what triggered uh, those things to let you know that something was a little bit different and not quite normal? Well, was it I the remember... dead body in the trunk? <laughs> <laughs> well, that would do it. I didn't get to see that one. But <laughs> <laughs> it was like things um, we had. There was a family that we were extremely close to. And we grew up in southern Texas by the border. Um, and we there was a, a family in particular we were extremely close to. And I remember it was an older gentleman and his wife. He had about three daughters um, who were all married and had children. And we were always at their house. And... They, it was an older man. He was probably, he, he was like a grandpa to us. We're really close to him. We're always at his house. And I knew him and my dad were into a lot of the drug cartel stuff. They were doing that together. And um, I just remember one of the very first memories I have where I realized that what we were doing was not okay and that was dangerous was that him and his entire family were like massacred. And um, that is a big clue. Yes. And my, you know, my parents would have open conversations in front of us. And I remember we just cried and cried and it's really um, dark, but they pretty much used a machine gun on all of them. So there was like bullets. They, we actually went to look at their house after their bodies had been removed and the investigation was over and their house was just sitting there abandoned. And there was like bullet holes all over the walls and like blood and stuff and um I remember only one of the daughters had survived they killed the kids um they killed all of them and um I remember that being one of the very first memories I have of like realizing that the way we were living was like dangerous but I also thought that everybody did that because where we grew up in Texas it it was like the thing to do like we're right there by the border. There. Oh yeah, every everybody we associated with was doing this. Friends, family, like Neighbors. everybody. Yes, yeah. we associated with was doing this, so it was completely normal to us. I thought I thought everybody in the country was doing this. I I didn't know um, any better, and I have memories of my parents just having you know packs and packs and packs of, um, you know what we would say marijuana in Spanish or weed just shoved into bedrooms like to the ceiling and um the smell of it is just forever engraved in my brain I I recognize it anywhere instantly I just it's what we grew up around and um my parents would say like oh it's just you know it's hay it's for the cows and we didn't have cows or anything like that so (laughs) um and we knew exactly what it was it was always people in and out of the house um there was an instance where we usually lived out in really rural areas um, so do you mind if I take a step back for yeah, no, just ahead. a minute? Um, <clears throat> when that happened to, you know, you said they were like grandparents to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any sort of idea of what 
happened in the situation? Um, not a ton because I was a kid and I would just pick up things here and there from conversations from the adults, but, um, he upset somebody mm. that was higher up. Now I don't know exactly how he upset him. I don't uh, know. It seems like the people there, if you looked at them the wrong way, was good enough reason for them to just kill you. Mm. So, um, I'm not sure exactly what he did, but I know he had upset somebody as far as I know, just not exactly how. So. And you said that it changed your, it changed your perspective and made you realize that it was dangerous and maybe yes. not quite normal. Yes. Did it <clears throat> have any direct impact, like how you lived your life moving forward, or was it still kind of normal and it was just more of starting to give you an idea that things were a little bit different? Um, it was... <sighs> My dad and mom were always on high alert. Um, my mom would answer the door with a shotgun. That's how That's how much I know that they knew and they were aware of the fact that we were kind of always in danger. But, you know, that didn't really make a difference. They kept living that lifestyle. It was fast money. Mm-hmm. And I think my dad considered it easy money, even though it was risking the life of his entire family. And um, they would take, they would literally take us with them on these drug runs. Like, there was a one time where they drove us for hours to some really random place up north in Texas to do some kind of drug deal. And they actually caught my dad, and we were in the middle of nowhere. And so they threw us in the county jail along with my mom. So we were in a jail cell until a family member could come pick us up. And you were how old? I'm going to say seven or eight. And I remember vividly sitting in the jail cell. Um, it might have been about 5 in the morning when finally a relative came and picked me and my sister up. But um, my parents just, you know, paid bail and and they walked out. Um, but, yeah, this was kind of the norm was just going on these drug runs, um, being in a crazy world where friends and acquaintances were constantly getting murdered like literally with chainsaws and stuff like that and it sounds like made up and it sounds like what you hear is happening over the border in mexico but it's been in the states for a long time it's been happening for a long time so so you're around six or seven at that time and then moving forward you said there was a lot of it didn't really stop it and didn't change anything Mm -hmm. so as you started going on what were some of the things that happened from then on that you really started noticing more and more um Again, just the frequent deaths. <laughs> um, it's not <laughs> really supposed to be funny, much. but... A, yeah, dark <laughs> humor. That's yeah. how we've gone back. It yeah. was constant after a while, um, you know, where my dad was coming home and being like, oh, they killed, they always have all these random... In the Mexican culture, if you have, like, a feature that's very prominent, they will call you by that, and you become that. So, you know, if you have big eyes, they'll call you, like, you know sapo like a frog or if you have a big nose i'll give you a nickname you for want that. To, you want to tell the people what your nickname is for me Gordo. <laughs> <laughs> it's very culturally fat. driven yes which that. is horrible but it's just a culture thing um you know i had a nickname every but especially in um the world the drug world that my parents lived in you didn't really know anybody by their names it was always by their nicknames and um my dad would come home and be like, oh, you know, they just found, you know, so-and-so in a dumpster. They cut him up with a chainsaw or, you know, oh, they just shot up, you know, this other friend. And it was horrible. And I, I didn't 
spend time with those people, but there would be people who would come over every time we threw a huge, a huge party. And um, there was so much money involved. It was because it was a drug world. It would be, you know, my birthday or my sister's birthday, and they would have like eight pinatas, and some of them were stuffed with money. Some of them were stuffed after hours party after they put us to bed were stuffed with cocaine. They'd have entire cows laying on tables, and they were butchering them. And I mean, these parties would go on for like two days. And a lot of the people who were being killed were people who were invited to these parties. And I mean, you know, I would remember them or whatever. I would be introduced to them, but. Um, yeah, the body count was just increasing, it seemed like, every year. So um, I knew that we were living in a very dangerous environment as I was getting older. And I was terrified for for my dad. I thought he was going to end up the same way. So, mm. so it kept getting worse. Was there ever a point where um, your family called it and was like, okay, that's it, we've had enough here or anything like that? At some point... <laughs> <laughs> I was pointing um, to me. I was yeah. the salvation of the family. Just kidding. <laughs> no, I wasn't. Yeah, I think. That was his nickname, the salvation. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think gradually it just got to the point where it just got so nasty. And I don't know if my dad upset enough people. I, I really don't know what um, exactly, sorry, <laughs> exactly um persuaded them to stop I think it was because my dad was getting into more and more situations where you know he was being held up at gunpoint he was in a bunch yeah just in in altercations that it was just the lord that he didn't he wasn't killed and I don't know exactly what conversation they had where they decided to to stop or or pull back a little bit but I think it was because he had so many close calls Well, and I think also what made your upbringing a lot more confusing was that there was this side of the family that was dipping in and out of church. Yeah. So there was this dual reality for you guys where you were a young girl, you guys would attend a church for a year or two or whatever it might be, maybe even less go back to Texas, go back to that lifestyle, try to find another church, go back to the lifestyle all while you know, my parents were still in the lifestyle, still in that horrible world. They were somehow also going to church. And I think that in a lot of ways probably was extremely damaging for you guys because it's really, really confusing to have these parents who are in this like criminal world and then taking you guys to church Sunday morning, dressing you up in these cute little dresses and having you sing with all the other kids. Whereas all the other kids there probably don't have parents who are in the drug world. And you guys are up there singing like, <laughs> you know, yeah. and then going back to that world in and out. And that probably was your reality up until you were a teenager, right? Was this kind of dual world a little bit? Um, a little bit. Um, it was mostly my mom who tried to take us to church. I think she was trying really hard to try to get us away from that. And my, um, my dad didn't really have a lot of like regard for safety in that sense. He liked to put my mom in situations that were really dangerous or like I said us by taking us on these um you know drug runs and stuff like that um and I think she was trying to get away from it but it was you know really hard to do with my dad not supporting her and just continuing to live that life so um we were in and out of church we'd go and then get out and then go again and then come out but I do know that 
in those years that my mom took us to church, the Lord was dealing with my heart since I was a little girl. Um, and I think that that opened the door for me, giving my heart to the Lord later on in my life because the Lord was dealing with me in those periods where my mom would, would try to take us. So, But, yeah, it was really confusing, and it was hard to watch them be so flip-floppy. And, but I, I also know it was hard for her because it wasn't really up to her to to make those calls. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think... I think another really huge layer of that, first of all, I love how deep and heavy this conversation got right off the bat. <laughs> right off we the were, bat. my just. sister and I were like, we're going to make it so funny and lighthearted and we're just going to like laugh through it. And, and I can like see the frog, in, and like, <laughs> the frog in your throat. I'm just kidding. Um, no. I'm going to call you a sapo. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, um, I think the other thing which was hard was that it, the home was a very broken home and it wasn't just because of the lifestyle, right? It wasn't just because of the drugs. It was a highly abusive home um, emotionally and physically, right? So I think even once they stepped out of that realm or took a step back, thankfully, obviously, you kind of have had a, a church structure and a church community, but it still was a very toxic environment. Yeah. So you grow up, right? You're what, a teenager now. We moved to New Mexico from Texas, they've kind of decided to step out of this world. Um, what was that transition like for the family, for you, once you guys kind of took a step back? You guys obviously left that lifestyle behind, the people behind, the family behind, and moved to New Mexico. What was, what was that process like? Well, I'll have to go back a little bit because... Um I actually, and I guess this is where the testimony part comes in. Um, once we're kind of phasing out, my dad was phasing out a little bit from doing as many drug runs and all of that. And um, he had started doing like small jobs and he was having me hide drugs for him, which I can't imagine ever approaching my teenager here, hide drugs for me so I can sell these later. Like, I can't even imagine doing that to my kid. I was like 14, 15 when he was having me hide these. And um, and was this after, you said it's after you'd left and separated or is this? At this point, you were still in Texas. We were still in Texas. Okay. It was right before we moved. And um, just suddenly when um, his, a lot of my dad's family lived up in New Mexico. And he's like, I don't know what his purpose was because he, they always drug us all over the country for unknown reasons. He's like, let's go to New Mexico for like a couple of months and just, you know, visit family. And we said, okay. So we actually went and stood up with an uncle for about three months. And they went to a church there in New Mexico. And um, we had a cousin that was the same age as my sister and I. And we were really close to her. And she started taking us to church with her. Well, the Lord really, really started dealing with my heart. We're visiting there. And after, you know, the three months were over, we went back to Texas, and I just wasn't the same. I just really wanted to serve the Lord. And um, I started praying every single night, and we weren't um, Christians at the time. We weren't serving the Lord. Um, I would get on my knees every single night and pray and ask the Lord to lead us to a church that I wanted to serve him. And I know, obviously, that was him in my heart. That wasn't. It was just his grace. And um, I sat down and had a conversation with my parents. We were in a really bad situation. 
um, things were falling apart for us in Texas. And I told them, I just really want to serve the Lord. Can we please move to where there's a church? Can we please move? And since we had that family in New Mexico and I loved the church that we're going to, I, you know, just asked them to consider it. And my mom actually had a dream one night about that church and about us moving there. And that was kind of the the deciding factor. And that's how we ended up moving to New Mexico and everything just... I give my heart to the Lord and um, have been serving him ever since. But, um, yeah, it wasn't, you know, it, it was still unfortunately a toxic environment at home because it takes a certain kind of person to put your wife and children's life in danger for so long. It's usually a person who isn't very healthy in the mind and, um, you know, I thank God for saving me and putting me in church, but it was still hard living with, you know, the same person that, you know. Is it is it kind of one of those things, too, where when you, even if they, you might not be able to say he tried to leave the life, but at least attempted to get the family out of that life, but then it never really leaves you? I don't think it like ever that, left him. Yeah, that's what I that's what I mean. So the life, that type of life never mm-hmm. left him, even if he was outside of Texas and that environment, it was still it was still just present there. Yeah, it's like his mindset was the same. Mm-hmm. Um he just yeah. Yeah, and I think by the time so I was born in Texas and we moved around to a few different states for a few years, but you know, ultimately we were kind of back in Texas before moving to New Mexico. So by the time I was born, they were pretty much out of that lifestyle. I was really young. So, you know, I still have memories of Texas. I still have memories of living with our neighbors who owned a lion. Um, they had a lioness. They mm-hmm. were in that world, right? Like an were, African lion? lion? Yeah. Yeah, it was a straight-up lion. <laughs> But obviously uh, off the black market, wasn't it? Yeah, obviously it very illegal. Yeah. So this family, and I remember this so much, so well, because I was probably like four or mm-hmm. five. We were very close to them. We were very close to them. They had kids. They had this beautiful home. We lived in this like very humble little house, like across this large field. They had a big ranch with a lot of animals. And this family were really close friends of ours, but they had a lioness caged up in their front yard. On our side of the property. On our side of the property and the fear we had as kids. But we would cross it every day just to go play with, with her. With so her you weren't children. trying to like reenact like Lion King? I was not <laughs> trying to reenact Lion King. We could hear this lion roar at night and it was so terrifying. It always sounded like it was at your window. But, yeah. um, you know, they were in this world as well. And they had this beautiful home, huge swimming pool in the front yard. They were doing a lot better than our family was. <laughs> like, where was your life? Where was where was our money? Where's my inheritance? Um, yeah, they were they were very wealthy. They had a beautiful home. They had like a, a tank, an actual like military tank in their backyard. I remember this so vividly because I thought it was so cool. Um, but yeah, that it's such a strange thing to tell people like, oh yeah, our neighbors in Texas like they owned a lion. Now like that. Uh, What's that show called? That Tiger King or whatever. <laughs> like, I see that and you feel, you know, I'm like, oh, well, there's a lot of weird things going on. But yeah, it was such a strange thing. But that was kind of right before things really changed was that yeah, house and those neighbors. Because I, I don't know exactly what went wrong with my dad and whatever he was doing, but he wasn't <laughs> doing as many drug, 
drug jobs anymore. So we were like struggling because that's all he ever did. He would refuse to get a real job. And if he did get a job, he had it for like two weeks and he could never keep a job. And he would always just go back to the drugs. He's used to the easy, easy money. Yeah. I mean, you know, he'd go do a, a drug job and he did have $15,000 in their pocket by the end of the day. And, you know, but um, so I do the remember. Part where we're supposed to say like allegedly. Allegedly. All of this, this yeah, is this all, all this is all fictional. Don't believe any of this. <laughs> any this resemblance to real everyone has paid their for their crimes, so yes. don't. Stephen is yes. using this just for a study for his book that he's writing. Yeah, about is, a fictional world. Yeah. Exactly. There was no, no I, I vividly remember the lioness and being terrified allegedly. of this lioness. Yeah, just allegedly. Because she was literally living like fifty feet away from our front yeah. door in yeah, like a huge. chicken coop. It was like a chicken coop yes. cage. So, no, I no. don't know how she so, never broke out. It could have gone out like at any time. Yes. Yeah, but, yeah okay. she was kind of dumb. <laughs> it's like chicken wire holding in a lion. I mean, yes. the fear crossing that field, yes. having to like look at a lion in a chicken cage pretty much. <laughs> um, she ate their dog's tail off. The dog got too close. It was like a wiener dog. Did you guys um, always live here around no. this place? Well, the, no. this property that this like pretty big drug lord was living in was our property at one point. And then we sold it to him. And then we got really demoted. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. my dad was slacking, and he stopped selling enough drugs to keep us your, in the big house. Your house was called Pantry? <laughs> that was the name of your house because you were the next meal it was the if something went wrong? Um, Drag it out of there. <laughs> yeah. Well, and at this point, all, all the siblings are born. So yes, it's we're all around. The two older sisters, my brother was born, um, the older, my older brother. And the salvation of the family. And then, you know... The prayer, the answered prayer, was me. <laughs> so no. you you grew up around all this stuff, and yeah, the, all the horrible things happened. But as far as like you living a child life, like what was? Did you live a fairly? Um, do you feel like you had a childhood, or was it completely consumed by all of that? Um. Yes and no. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, like you, it, there was parts that were great, and there were parts that were very dark that I will not go into. Yeah. But yeah. And then you moved around a lot, right? Like, what was yeah, the average you lived in a place? Yeah, it was very unstable. Um, my parents were, like I said, all over the place. So there were, I, I guess it all depended on what job they were doing at the time. But we would, you know, they would enroll us in a school. And then we'd be there for like three months. And then, you know, one day I get an announcement over the intercom. Naomi Martinez, you need to be, to, you know, go to the office. We'll bleep Blah, that. blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll bleep your name. <laughs> Allegedly. Oops. That's your name. <laughs> And, um, and so we show up at the office and my parents are like, you were, you know, we're pulling you out of school. We're moving. Like literally that morning, we just hadn't even discussed any of this. There was no plans to move and they'd have a full trailer full of all our stuff. And we'd be moving across the country. You know, we lived in Michigan. We lived in Grand Rapids and Ohio and Detroit and Florida In Florida. They actually, um, this is another part of that crazy story. Um, okay, I guess at it what was, point in your life is this though? I must've been like. 13, 14, um, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I guess my dad decided that he had some kind of drug job to do in Florida. So we pull up, we have no money and he's like, we need to find a place to stay. So he finds an abandoned trailer in the middle of a lot somewhere. And I'm not exaggerating when I tell you it looked like something off of Indiana Jones. We stayed in there. There was centipedes, cockroaches, and I don't know how many insects that were crawling all over us all night. We did not sleep sleep like a wink. We were covered in insects. I did. I was wedged between my parents. Like literally, I'm like 
an infestation of insects were crawling all over us. And this is the kind of stuff that I think back on and I'm like, I could never imagine putting my kids through any of that. Like, But were you pretty resilient at that point? Was it, like you said, a lot of this was kind of normal and you expected Mm -hmm. and it didn't make you feel, I don't know, like if I look back, yeah, you'd think like, man, this is absolutely crazy and I don't know how I'd actually handle that, but you just kind of rolled with it and went no. through that? Or? <laughs> at that point, it was it bothered me at that point. I think okay. the older I got and the weirder things got, um, going back to living in Michigan, um, and I was sharing this with you guys earlier, my parents moved us to Grand Rapids. I, what I assume was for some kind of drug job. It went wrong. It fell apart. And this and was before Florida? This was right before Florida, um, literally like weeks before Florida. They decided we're going to live in Grand Rapids, you know, for no apparent reason. And so they went and rented this apartment unseen. They just saw an ad for it on the newspaper. And we show up, and it's in this super rough part of Grand Rapids. And we go into the apartment, and the walls have blood all over them. And I immediately wanted to leave. I was so uncomfortable. The apartment was so creepy. So my parents decided it's cool to have my sister and I wipe the blood off the walls and we spent hours cleaning blood off the walls I have no idea why there was blood on the walls but we spent one night there and we decided that it was really creepy we didn't like it and we left and they had paid the first month's rent they had paid a deposit they never asked for any of it back we just up and left and that's when we ended up in Florida (laughs) that abandoned trailer Mm. um and these were the choices that my dad made constantly and then we'd go through periods of you know, a ton of money and then no money. And then we moved back to Texas and I assume he went and did some kind of big drug job because suddenly we bought a lot. We were in the middle of building a house and he would do this kind of thing all the time. We would have the house like 80% done and he'd be like, I don't want to be here anymore. We're leaving. And hey, isn't we that would half of leave. Black people? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like halfway Ouch. like constructed, like he would yeah. just be like, I don't want to be here anymore. And, we'd pack up and leave with just on a whim and it was so confusing and when I was littler it, w- it was still crazy but <laughs> I think I was too little and Sorry. almost oblivious like I thought it was normal but the older I got the more aware I got of the fact that this is not okay and I just didn't want to live like that it was so uncomfortable and weird and confusing did you ever ask your dad why he did some of those things <laughs> um I don't remember if I did, and if I did, I'd probably get my teeth knocked out, honestly. <laughs> Even now? <laughs> um, mm. I don't really have a relationship with him now, okay. so we don't have those conversations. But it's conversations I can have with my mom more, but they keep a lot of secrets. And there's a lot of things I don't think we'll ever know. And there's some things that have come out slowly through the years. I feel like there's a perpetual skeleton in the closet with my family. There's always a new revelation that's even darker than the one before where I'm like, oh my gosh, when does this end? But, um, yeah, I don't know that I'll ever know the whole truth. Like I said, there's bits and pieces that I know of because I witnessed them. Um, there was another crazy time where, I guess there was a lot of gaslighting in their attempt to cover up what they were doing, but then at other times they would forget to cover up what they were doing. So um, going back to when I was about, seven or eight um they bought this mobile home and put it on this gigantic lot in the middle of nowhere i guess they were trying to hide or fly under the radar i don't know 
And um, we had lived there for maybe about two years. And it was a two-bedroom mobile home. They had their bedroom. We had our own. And one morning, my sister and I got up for school. They went and dropped us off. And we come back home from school. And our door has completely been drywalled, textured, painted. And your bedroom, your bedroom my door. bedroom door. And in the mobile so, home? In the mobile home. Allegedly. Alleged mobile home. <laughs> yes. And so I asked my parents what happened to our bedroom, and they said, you never had a bedroom. What are you talking about? How old were you again at this point? About eight. Um, they're like, what are you talking about? You never had a bedroom. And I was like, yes, I did. We got ready in it this morning. Like, I know we've been living here for two years. It was a kind of like extremes I would go to to conceal what they were doing, even though we already knew what they were doing. But they had needed a place to store all this drug stuff that they had. So they decided our room was the place to do it. And they just sealed it off like if it was a wall. But we were old enough to know that and remembered that morning that we had just left the room and Anyways, I don't know how they were so quick, but they would honestly show up at school on any given day with everything packed up or leaving. And they did this constantly. I don't think I ever finished a complete school year at any school. Mm. We were always being pulled out and taken different places. Um, so that made for a very unstable childhood. And I, yeah, my memories of childhood are so all over the place. Because of all the, you know, changes and... Yeah, that sounds yeah. pretty chaotic overall. Very much so. And from a kid's perspective, as you're growing up, you don't, you know, it's hard to keep a linear track anyways. Right. And, um, dealing with that and that t- kind of instability, yeah, on top of just trying to grow and... How, <laughs> how old were you when you moved to New Mexico? About 17. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So you said that five. the Lord had always been dealing with you since you were a little girl, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you so. spent three months in New Mexico at a church. Mm-hmm. Was there anything specific that really tied that all together? Or was it just a gradual and you, you recognized at that point what it was? I just think that it was always that since the Lord had been dealing with me since I was young, like I said, the few times that we did attend church, I felt like the Lord just really planted a seed. And I think that desire was always in the background. And I was so unhappy with our life. I was so unhappy on top of the fact that we lived in a very abusive home in a very toxic environment. I somehow knew that God was the only answer, and I know it was him. But once we moved to New Mexico and we were going to that church, I just, I knew instantly that's what I, how I wanted to live my life. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it was even like, gradual I think it was like as soon as I went to church I knew this is this is what I want to do with my life Mm. um yeah yeah and then (laughs) cue me I'm just kidding (laughs) um yeah and I think I feel like your life can be divided into these sort of sections like just watching well obviously being slightly a part of your life as your sibling. But um, so there's the life before New Mexico and kind of starting to go to church, right? And that was all very toxic and it was very apparent. It was very obvious. I think you can speak to those kinds of things and just evidently say this was horrible. Mm-hmm. I think the other portion of that was a lot sneakier 
It was a lot, I think, in ways equally as damaging, if not more, because I think it was more confusing. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is we're now a family that's a church-going family, right? We're dressed up, going to church Sunday morning, and we're making friends and a community that have no idea of the life that the family has led up to this point and in some other ways is still leading uh, behind closed doors. So I think, at least from my perspective growing up, I unfortunately, my mom was someone who was very vocal about the issues in our family. Uh, she relied heavily on her children as an emotional support. So anytime my dad would leave our family because he had this pattern of just getting up and leaving because he would get tired of the church life and he'd go back to Texas. So sometimes it'd be at midnight and our fam- I'd wake up to hear our whole family. <laughs> I'd wake up to that, <laughs> to that background. Literal. You just Perfect triggered me. Perfect timing. <laughs> I don't know we're going to have sound effects on this podcast. <laughs> They've been pushed down the stairs it's a again. It's thing we're trying to <laughs> Push down the stairs. <laughs> He's pulled a knife on my brother again. I'm just kidding. Oh um, no. <laughs> it's right here for legal purposes. I, I'm just he's, our, he's our lawyer. Emotional yeah. support slash legal defense. Uh, yes. yeah, you're not allowed to say that. Um, but you can say that. Oh, dang it. Uh, my lawyers advise me not to yeah. say this. My lawyer is shaking his head. <laughs> yeah. It's like the press when Rolling celebrities are doing interviews yeah. and they're like, um, we're going to move on now. Thanks for the interview. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, it, it was a very unstable home life, even outside of the drug cartel world. And so the instability continued, even though oh, you'd yeah. settled in a place, it's yeah. still... Which oh, is yeah. understandable. In like, a way, it's not like you suddenly just yeah. drop into a place and fix things. Well, I was going to say, maybe no. even more in a way, because uh, this is going to sound maybe weird, but maybe the life, the, the cartel life, gave an outlet for some of that chaos and toxicity to go to. And then when you're not doing that, then it's all contained in the house. Yeah, it's like he didn't know what it, to do with himself. Right, it's like all contained in the home rather than, you know, being able to, you know, for lack of a better term, let that out in an outside world. Mm-hmm. Now, it's yeah, all, he, now it's all together in a household. He was always a really, really troubled person. And my dad, I guess I should say, um, he had a very, very traumatic childhood. And I think um, he grew up in extreme poverty. <laughs> Do you think this story, your story was bad? <laughs> it's like his yeah. story yeah. sounds like something out of a, a horror movie. Mm. Um, yeah. And I can give me... I guess some pity for him. I can see why he's so messed up, but he he doesn't he never thought that he was. He thought he was like the super strong, you know, person. And if I ever broke down in front of him, he'd be like, I had a horrible life and it made me stronger, didn't make me weaker. You need to toughen up. And I always like to say whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger or crazy. And I think <laughs> and I think that in this case it, it made it made us crazy and not stronger. But Amen. um <laughs> No, I, I know that's like a joke. Like, it is a joke, but I do think there's truth to, like, sometimes some things really don't make you stronger. Yeah, I think there's a up. lot of damage and wounds that you have to, you know, if you don't have Christ in your life, like, because to us, that's taking it to the Lord. But for whoever else, whatever their healing journey is, you know, whether it's therapy or meds or whatever, like, sometimes it's unnecessary damage. And, and I know that the Lord can use that for good, but it is something that you absolutely have to like process and heal from. Yeah. 
And he <clears throat> had these tendencies. And I think um, his own dad was kind of an absent dad, and he was gone a lot. So he he did that a lot growing up. That was another issue that we had. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys telling me to hurry up. Um, no. So he would leave a lot. He liked to, what my what Stephen was mentioning was just suddenly out of the blue, just get a you know wild hair and be like, I'm leaving. And I remember at 11 years old, him telling us, I'm leaving you guys. I don't want to be with you. And I think I was going to cry. Um, and me begging him not to leave. And he was packing his suitcases and leaving us. And he left us for like three months. And then he would suddenly show back up into our lives. And he would do this periodically. Um, and at one point, when I was old enough to work, I was supporting the household. He was like, I'm leaving. I don't want to be here. And I kind of always, not always, but I felt like from a young age, I had to kind of wear the pants for my family. My mom was not very emotionally stable. And I kind of had to be the one carrying the weight on my shoulders. And it's really hard to get out of that. I don't know if it's a survival mode or or what, but it's really hard to get out of that down the road, even at my age, um, kind of get out of the mindset of, I have to look out for me. I have to be strong. I have to wear the pants. I have to be the alpha male. I have, like, I always default to that, and I hate it. Oops. Sorry. Um, I'm getting a little excited. She's getting aggressive. Today. Yes. She was strangling me. She was trying to slap Ryan. She was trying to slap Ryan to show who, who's boss. Yeah. Um, but anyways, um, it was always very unstable, and it's crazy, the, the stuff that it leads to down the road that you don't think at 40-plus years old you're still struggling with. But I think when you go through those things during your formative years, it just kind of almost like turns on this setting in your psyche where you're just, um, I don't know, it, you, it becomes like your default mode or something. I don't know. It's an armor of yeah. defense and like walls mm-hmm. and survival and coping mechanisms and all yeah. those things kind of bundled up into one. And you can get accused of being a really strong personality, right? Like, oh, she's so vocal, and oh, she's so opinionated, and oh, but it's like, I kind of had to be. Like, I had to kind of be that way to, like, and maybe it's my version of being strong, but um, when you literally were financially carrying your family and, you know, trying to keep yourself from falling apart because your dad was so absent and all over the place and abusive. Um, You kind of have to be that way to survive, I guess. That sounds like a cop-out. Maybe I should be more... I think um, when you're going through that stuff when you're young, you don't understand it fully. And then later on, when you actually have to deal with it, you understand what went on and what was good, what was bad and all those things. And you still have to process that and manage that in your life and deal with the effects that it had on you, understanding yourself and where Mm -hmm. some of your tendencies came from and trying to handle them. But at the same time, then without being able to directly deal with the thing that may have caused it without directly saying like, if, if Steven and I got in an argument, I'd be able to work with you and talk with you and just either let out the frustration directly at you. But Later on down the road, you don't get any sort of outlet like that. You just have to figure out how to process it all. Mm-hmm. And if it's built up over years, how do yeah. you how do you dig through that and manage it all in a healthy way when you don't have some directing here? You just have to mentally 
handle right. it all and process. And I never yeah. had access to a therapist or a psychiatrist or a psychologist. So yeah. I feel like I've been kind of processing these things over the years. And I need to give the Lord credit because he's helped me through a lot of those things. And I feel like I've gotten better. But the healing has definitely been a process and a journey. Yeah, It hasn't been, unfortunately, like all at once. There's still a lot of things yeah. that unfortunately we deal with because of like residual stuff with the family that dates back to all of that and sometimes unfortunately continues on Mm -hmm. because some people just don't change and don't learn so and i think i mean the whole topic of maybe the steps you've taken to kind of process i think like chase said a lot of these things as a kid i mean children are so resilient and i feel like the psyche and the mind does a lot by default to survive and to kind of get through things. And I think the more you you go through experiences through life, you grow up and you suddenly get to this place in life where you're suddenly able to start processing some of these things you weren't able to as a kid. So sometimes it's even harder as an adult. You almost feel like, man, I didn't even take it this hard as a child. Like, why is it hitting me so hard now as an adult? But I think it's because of that reason where you now have, your body has slowed down to enough to process and to like think these things through and you realize the repercussions whether mentally physically emotionally or spiritually all all those things that have taken you know affected you in those areas and so it's kind of hard to to figure out how to even start from there but i think before we get into like kind of that second half of, of like the healing and all that kind of stuff um just because it is such a heavy topic and I think there's so much more, so much layers and so much more to delve into with the healing part of it and kind of that second portion of of your life up to now. Um, Maybe can you just share the small glimmers of either fun, good, hope that were in your childhood, whether they were far and few between, but like what can you look back on and laugh and be like as wild as that was like, that made for either a fun memory. Besides the birth of Steven. <laughs> and the joy that he brought. Yes, oh, gosh. Absolutely. No, that um, was when it started going down. Oh, that again. was when it was yeah. okay. I'm trying to remember. Um, as toxic as my dad was a lot of the times, and I think this is one of those really hard to reconcile in my mind, um, things where he could be really abusive and then also could be a really affectionate, fun dad. Um he just loved spending time with us and he loved taking us to baseball games. He loved taking us to the circus or to the carnival. Um, he loved going to the lake and taking us on boat rides and throwing us in the lake, even if we couldn't <laughs> swim. Um, hmm. That's he, called trying to drown. That's, yeah. that's <laughs> it was a sink or swim and we would always sink. So we would always have to jump in. <laughs> he was probably the strongest swimmer I've ever met. He um, would, Swim across the Rio Grande as a sport. <laughs> yes. Oh, I, <laughs> I can see those yeah. that joke <laughs> running through your head, Chase. He was <laughs> Chase was like because he had athletic. to. We're yes. third generation American here. Okay. <laughs> he was his actually my grandpa was born in Texas. My dad was born yeah. in Texas. But he loved to swim across a Rio Grande as sport. And if anybody has ever been there, it's horrible currents. And people constantly drown there trying to swim across, you know, the border. 
And my dad would, unfortunately, this was another one of his money-making schemes. He would swim people across the border um, on the Rio Grande. And Allegedly. He was, Jinx. Thank you. <laughs> I've, I've trained him well. And actually, he witnessed a lot of his friends drown trying to do the same thing. Um, I love but anyways, how, side I love how note. any positive memory immediately yeah, turns into some horrible. But unfortunately, his friend cracked his head open on a rock in the ocean, in the river, and like, they had to hold his scalp yes. together like, and drown in the hospital. Though. Like he would come home with these horrible stories of we just got in a bar fight and I had to hold my my friend's guts in because somebody slashed his stomach open. Like you're like, and let's go to the constantly. carnival constantly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really feeling uh, Philly cheesesteak right cheese. now. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> Philly cheese a menudo sounds so good right now. Um, but menudo, yeah, for those who don't know, is a Mexican dish with, with cow, cow stomach. stomach. Yeah. But um, anyways, Delicious. it's so good. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that was one of his favorite pastimes. Was swimming across the road Grand. He was very athletic and he was really strong swimmer. Anyways, so he would throw us into really deep lakes and we would never figure out how to swim. So he would always have to dive in and get us. But he'd like to spend a lot of time with us. Um, they loved, one of my favorite childhood memories was the huge parties we would have. The they, cocaine ones? <laughs> the after hours. Um, they would butcher entire cows and pigs, and they would be cutting them up and throwing them on the grill, and pinatas and gifts, and horse rides, and Mariachis. motorcycle rides. Mariachis, oh my gosh, my most favorite memories are the live mariachi bands that they would have um, come to the parties, and they would play all night, so... Some of my favorite childhood memories was waking up to the sound of mariachis outside our window um, and my dad doing his Mexican scream and all the uncles and all the friends drunk outside. <laughs> I know that me, sounds like a weird, fun memory. Can but, you give me an example of what that Mexican scream is? Oh, gosh, no, like? I can't. <laughs> you guys will have I think to look I've tried it, it once yeah. in my life and yes. never again. Yeah. No, but... It's not in the blood. <laughs> that is not, kind of have to be a guy. Some girls, some Mexican girls can pull it off, but that's one of my most favorite Your memories. Pointy boots. Pointy boots, the cowboy hats, the big belt buckles, the mariachis playing in the background. Those the are some of my buckles. favorite. And I had some amazing. I still have the metal belt buckle engraved on my skin. <laughs> 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 I remember that. <laughs> um, but um, my some of my relatives had incredible voices. And um, they love to sing with mariachi band. So some of my favorite childhood memories are listening to my uncles and cousins singing outside our window with the mariachis. That's one of my favorite, favorite memories. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it wasn't, I guess, all bad. Um, it's hard to look back and look at some of the good memories sometimes because there's been so much hurt. Um, but he wasn't always a monster. There was times when he could he be a Jekyll really fun dad. Yes. Hmm. I feel like that's the best that way to be put That would be the him. best way to put it. So do you think he had some sort of... Oh, yeah. Like bipolar or um, I would say worse than that, to be honest. Um, or I think like he was psychopath. Com- yeah, I would say psychopath. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I hear you, we're so far apart, mm-hmm. you age. and I, in age. Um, and I feel like I was born outside of that life. And I've always said this, but I feel like you guys got the best and worst versions of mm-hmm. our parents. Yeah. You got the very, it was like the extremes of our parents. And by the time I was born, I was born with the more washed down version. But I feel like it's really hard for me to look back and feel the same way about our dad. Yeah. I, like to me, it's 
percent negative uh and maybe it wasn't as extreme the extreme wasn't as bad but it was i didn't get a lot of good by the time yeah by the time i was born my dad was very washed just kind of washed out bitter and he wasn't in that life anymore but he was all that was left was like a shell Mm -hmm. and it was this still very abusive and abrasive man and I didn't get the the fun. Mm-hmm. I didn't get the fun version of mom. <laughs> I know I've heard she never really was she very fun, was. but I came in to a very broken mother. I mean, mm-hmm. they were done with this lifestyle and she was a shell of a woman. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like your dad kind of almost lived off like the legend. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Used to be yes. Because that's about the time that I met you. Yeah. Yes. It was more like the like yeah. he lived off of his yes. the legend of his old life. Right Very now. narcissistic. Yeah. He had a reputation down there as like you know everyone feared him and you know. And he's a small man. Yeah. With a but small stature. From outside perspective, just me knowing some of the stories though is like he's the only one that survived. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's I Lord. think of that. Well, see, I think of that as everything. well. <laughs> yeah. I think of that as like providence because right. there's a bigger picture in, exactly. in your life and Naomi's life. And okay. I think that yeah. to keep to to be able to bring you guys to where you're at now. Not saying there's not further that you want to go and need to go, but to bring you where you are now, it was necessary for even somebody like your dad yeah. to be kept safe mm-hmm. because then it would keep you safe. Mm-hmm. Well, I wouldn't and have been maybe. born. <laughs> what? I would not have been born quite literally. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. It, it, yeah, that's a good point. But like he, <laughs> Which, I almost feel like he falls under your providence. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and, and, and maybe he takes credit for that a little bit. Yeah. Like, you know, I've, I've heard stories of him, you know, he, you know, the guy to his right and the guy to his left, they'd all be on their knees and the guy to his right gets killed and the guy to his left mm-hmm. gets killed and he doesn't get killed. Yeah. And yeah. so he, he came out of those situations um, like, it seemed like I'm luck Superman. at the time. Yeah, I'm, or, I'm yeah. invincible. I can't be touched, all this stuff. But it's really the way that yep. I look at it is that, that he was um, like a beneficiary of the providence that I believe that the Lord had for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And I th- but he didn't realize yeah. that. So then oh, I think no. he, I he think took he, the credit. Yeah, he, yeah. he, thought he, he was like, yeah, I thought exactly. It. He thought he was kind of like Superman. Yep. Yeah. I agree. I think that's a good, um, yeah, that's a good way to put it, Providence. And, and yeah, and I think at that point it was a very different life. And in a lot of ways, yeah, just as damaging as that kind of first half but um and even going back to the providence thing um my parents weren't very good about shielding us from all their mental struggles so they were constantly threatening suicide in front of us and saying they were going to kill themselves and that they were done with life and they had had a really bad experience with the family member when they attempted to go back to church and um again if it wasn't him up and leaving out of the blue it was a suicide attempt and so going back to the providence thing as wild as it sounds you know that inflicted a lot of damage but and i know the lord works in mysterious ways maybe that was god was preserving him maybe to maybe we wouldn't have ended up in new mexico it wasn't for his family there and i don't know i'm sure the lord could have rerouted maybe that but 
Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to think of it as God's grace. Yeah, yeah, because I don't. When I say that, I don't want to um, come from this like third party perspective and put this spin on it that says like, oh, providence is in. in that's why you went through what you went through and try to kind of like sugarcoat what you went through. Right. That, that would not be my intention to do right. that. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't make what you went through easier to hear somebody say, Oh, it was the providence of the Lord. Yeah. No. It just, right. it's, it's not, and it's not trying to find the, you know, the silver lining either. It's just like, okay, what's the bigger purpose? Like, mm-hmm. is there a bigger purpose? And if so, like, how do we, how do you find that? You certainly can't find the purpose in the things that you went through. Um, and so I don't want to, I don't want to mean that just, you know, flippantly like, yeah, Oh, right. it was yeah. a providence of the Lord. And that's why, you know, you went through what you went through. It's like, I'm, you know, that I'm sure there's not a lot of people that could not have survived what you guys went through. It just reminds me of the scripture that he works all things for the good of those who love him. Yes. At least that's what I yeah. think of. And I think, yeah, I think, there's a whole layer and a whole side of, of it we can kind of get into. And if it's okay with you guys, we can do a part two for this. We can just continue yep. recording, but just kind of delve into this side of it. Mm-hmm. If you guys want to stay tuned, uh, we're just going to end this recording right here. We're going to do a part two, so stay tuned for that. Um, thank you guys for listening. Make sure to uh, check out part two as soon as that one comes out as well. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Mm-hmm.